The Healing the City podcast is a ministry of the Village Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you enjoy the Healing the City podcast and wish to support it financially, you can go to villagersonline.com, click the We Give tab, and follow the instructions. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Healing the City Podcast. My name is Mark. I am a pastor at the Village Church in Tucson, Arizona. And with me today are Pastor Eric and Pastor Rod, also of the Village Church in Tucson, Arizona. Welcome. It's uh, good to be welcomed. Thank you. Yay. It's good to have you guys. Um, So, Rod, you are retiring in a few weeks. Um. A few, a few weeks. Very I mean, really, that we can term it that way now. Yeah, it's how scary. many weeks? Well, whatever, however many weeks there are until October four. Yeah, about Wait, f- about four weeks. It's October four now. October fifth. You're not going to actually work well, on the fifth. No, the fifth's not your last day. <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, okay. So, um, you are embarking this week, this coming Sunday, on a series of sermons which are your sort of exhortation sermons, your, your encouragement sermons to the village as you enter into retirement. Correct. So as part of that, we thought it would be good to get together. And I'm just going to talk to you guys about the village and how everything got started. And, um, and we'll see where the conversation goes. That's uh, good because we have very differing stories. So people are going to hear completely different stories about how this thing started. <laughs> Uh, Eric's shaking actually, his head. Actually, that's not true. <laughs> the, there are minor details that we disagree on. That's pretty much right. It. So let's begin. Let's go back to uh, like 1997-ish. Um, Rod, you got sent down to Tucson to plant a church. Yeah, I was part of um, a church plant in phoenix called celebration community church and um that i had helped start and um as part of that we called a pastor and then he kind of raised me up um, gave me opportunities to preach and to do other things and at some point the denominational folks the christian reformed church um decided that i should plant a church of my own, and um, I had been in Tucson to help close down a church, so um, uh, they sent me down here to plant, and that's how I got here. And what, what was the name of that church plant? Rock the Desert Ministries. Yeah. Although the best part of it was that it was listed in the uh, annual records of the Christian Reformed Church as Rock the Desert Ministries, <laughs> which, <laughs> which was a much better thing. I <laughs> I'd, go, I'd go to Rock the Desert Ministries. <laughs> I think everyone would, yes. <laughs> People would be very disappointed when they didn't get cake, yeah, exactly. ice right. cream. <laughs> so while you're while you're trying to plant this church in Tucson, and I've heard stories about you lugging all the sound equipment places and and setting it up and um, yeah, people don't know that I I set up the equipment. 
I arranged all the music. I ran the sound system. I set up all the chairs. I make the lasagna for after the after uh, service meal. I preached the sermon. Um, it was the I Church took, of Rod. I, it was the Church, <laughs> the of, Church Rod. of Rod. And God uh, quickly, well, not real quickly, but quickly enough, uh, destroyed it, rightfully so. <laughs> so How so long that, was Rock the Desert an actual church ministry? Um, well, I started in 1997 when I moved down here, and it okay. was, what, 2001 when the village, or 2000 yeah. when we first started. So three years. It's about three years. Okay. So at the ta- same time, Eric, you were working with like a college one, ministry one kind year of. earlier yeah 1996 when we got married right around the same time so you're you're working with a college ministry at another church el camino baptist church on and Pantano and speedway um and then that sort of developed into a community that was gathering together how did that work uh the short version of that is the pastor uh, mark bryans had come into town he i met him he married sue and i and I asked him to disciple me, and I joined his ministry, which at that time, he had just come in. I think there were one single, there was one single guy and a college student, a couple college students, you know, like a, a single who'd already graduated. I don't remember. There's hardly yeah. any. There was like five of us plus Sue and I. Yeah. And he did that from, uh, nine, he did that for three years, so that would be, or two and a half years, I guess we did that. And I moved from being those five people to I think like when he left to go plant a church there was probably 80 or 90 of us um but it wasn't all college students it was young married it was single people there are a couple kids running around in fact a few of them that actually go to the village right now yeah so who in this group are a few people who actually still go to the village so who are some of those people oddly enough so none of these people came with us to plant the village or anything, they're not connected. But they were Lee and Jill Sommets, in particular, were uh, sponsors for a while of our college <laughs> ministry. Lee and Jill Sommets came three years ago, I think, or whenever we started two services. Yeah, they they only came. They only started coming maybe yeah, like four yeah. years ago. Yeah, so that was that was an interesting thing. Yeah, yeah, and they came because their children started coming. So at some point in this. The two of you met. Mm-hmm. So I was doing college ministry. He was doing Rock the Desert. And someone said you guys should meet and hang out. Yeah, that someone was my brother. Your brother. Okay. And and his brother was dating the, the gal that was leading my worship team. Oh, so, there you go. So she yes. said to me, you should go meet this guy named Eric. And, and you, you so, guys met. So my, myself and one of the other leaders... Um, Brian Merrick yeah, went yes. and met with him. Yeah, It's the fateful meeting at the Good Egg. At the Good Egg. At the Good Egg, which I, is now First Watch. Well, it was which the Good Egg that has the little walk-up, right? Was it? No. It was the one on Speedway. Was it the, the one, one on Speedway? Speedway, but yeah. Okay. Speedway and like Wilmot or whatever, wherever that was. Um, is yeah. that right? Kolb. Speedway and Kolb. Yeah, That's it's right. still That's there. It's yeah. just First Watch. Yeah, it's now First, first watch. watch. So you met, and mm-hmm. that went excellent and you loved each other at first sight so that had to be was that 98 or 99 <laughs> it had to be 99 was it 99 but it couldn't have been yeah it had to be 99 but it was probably prior so we've been doing it for a year oh my 
I'm getting a phone call. Sorry, guys. My new phone has not. I got a new phone, everyone, uh-huh. but I didn't hey. turn it on mute, so I'll do that. <laughs> Sorry about that. So sometime 98, <laughs> you guys meet at the Good Egg and talk, and that goes poorly. Poorly. I, I liked him. I just thought he was hyper-focused on making young Christians better Christians, and that wasn't really my thing. I was like, um, I have all these non-Christian friends and people I meet, and I want them to become followers of Jesus. And so, I don't know. I mean, he's a go-be-blessed, but but I wasn't really interested in working with him. And I don't think we, yeah, I mean, we walked away, like, and it wasn't that... It was odd. I think we just came at missional work differently because right. we all had tons of non-Christian friends too. Yeah. Um, I just think that we looked at it very differently, um, and so and how you would get there. Yeah, and so neither of us. I I, I, I think maybe we just didn't have the same language. I don't remember. Right. I yeah. just remember thinking like, yeah. I mean, we exaggerate it now and say, well, I would right. never work with him. Um, but <laughs> that, That's the story I've heard many yes, times. Yes. I would never work with that I guy. Would, I would I never, never, he's no, terrible. Yeah. I do remember having some dramatic kind of like, yeah, I don't think this yeah, guy knows. Never I, think, I think I remember saying to Brian, I don't think he knows what he's talking about. Right. Yeah. So a year or two later, what's happened? Uh, so I'm, meet, I'm meeting out at a Presbyterian church out on Old Spanish Trail. Um, on Saturday evenings, and um, the I'm setting up doing the Church of Rod, which is probably why Eric didn't like what I was doing, um, and um, getting ready, and um, this big RV pulls up, and uh, Jeff and Emily McConnell jump out with um i think his parents yes who were members and you were meeting at an opc right a new uh cumberland uh, oh it was cumberland, uh, That's cumberland right, not OPC. It was a so so it was a cumberland presbyterian and so they wanted to see the, the his parents were visiting and they wanted to see the only one in town so <laughs> so they mistook me for the pastor and i said no i'm not the pastor of this church. I'm just renting space from them, and we have our services on Saturday night. And Emily said, "So, are you available to preach elsewhere on Sundays?" And I said, "Because I was desperate for money." <laughs> 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 and I, I said, "Sure." And uh, she said, "Oh, I'll give your name to some folks at." this Presbyterian church we're at. An op- uh, uh, it was an evangelical, ev- Presbyterian. evangelical Presbyterian church. I'll give your name to them and they can see if they want to invite you to come preach. Cool. Yeah. So the, what happened, the, the short version of all of it, I'll just give you a quick timeline on my end, got married two and a half years, I guess, or something like that. Uh, my mentoring pastor leaves. I stay at the church for a year. Um, but then that church, decides that we need to leave for various reasons none of them bad like the whole ministry the whole ministry that you were go. that you were leading yeah so we were kind of we're meeting all in my house like 70 people in fact philip Thomas took his first step in my house i believe this <laughs> has the story goes um but anyway whoa just um what happened was i ended up partnering with a, a pastor from this evangelical Presbyterian church and we all joined 
Um, and our ministry just kind of fell apart and I became part of that church. And then, so this would be 2000, I guess, 99 to 2000, like at the beginning. So December or whatever, they hired me because this, their pastor left. So he partnered with me. Once I became a member, he left that oh, church boy. hired me. And it turns out that I couldn't preach more than like 14 times a year. Oh, the because elders you didn't, don't, I didn't have, you don't have a particular, right? Yeah. So the elders didn't want to carry that burden either. And I was just basically coordinating everything and still doing kind of a Saturday evening thing with about 20 college students or whatever. So they run into Rod and because we need someone to do pulpit supply. Exactly. No, right. right. So the thing is, is that actually Emily, the name they gave this to, uh, the, his name, not, they didn't come to me directly. They actually gave it to Ruth Van Steli, right. who actually knew you. Yes, right. And so she came to me and said, hey, you should meet this guy. Do you know Rod Hugan? And I was like, yes, I know Rod Hugan. <laughs> yes. We don't want to work and together. <laughs> the way I remember this is I think about in February, I came. Like February we, 2000? Mm-hmm, I talked to you. Um, we had, had the good egg. But now it was the good egg over on Swan, right? Right, exactly. And uh, I kind of think I, I when I think back, I this is when I made a lot of big proposals. It wasn't just like, "Hey, come work for this church." It was, "Hey, come work for this church, and why don't you come join your ministry with our ministry?" Yeah, something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, it was sort of that way. I I uh, I don't remember how the two all that merged together. Although I think you were still kind of doing something with starting a magazine for downtown, um, and you guys were talking a lot about that, and not really, and had a lot of angst about being a church plant. Right. Um, well, we didn't even know what that would entail. Right. Exactly. And I think that um, so I so I've heard this story about. There's this group of people getting together, and they didn't want to be called a church. Right. Well, we were, yeah, we were still, I was also working for the Evangelical Presbyterian At the church. same time. Yeah. Yeah. And and Rod said, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, <laughs> then and, it's a duck. Yeah, it, that's, that's true. I think what happened was, you know, we were supposed to merge with this church and what was going to happen is we had a Saturday evening service and they had a Sunday morning and we were actually going to move to a two in the afternoon or somewhere in between there on a Sunday Mm -hmm. and just have one service together. And once this pastor left that all fell apart. So now we're still meeting Saturday evenings and doing, I'm trying to make a living working for this Presbyterian church. So yes, he came to one of the meetings. Right. And then I was out, um, still out at the, Presbyterian, um, Cumberland Presbyterian uh, Church meeting, just meeting on Saturday nights, which conflicted in, you know, as far as meeting times. But um, so we started rotating back and forth. Yeah, I, I would go and and then they would send a, a group out to I yes. mean, quite a yeah, well, like, almost yeah. everybody would just come to the church. Right. And so we sort of connected that way, but nothing was yeah. really official. Yeah, and you then took over the preaching um, for the most part. Yes, I had, to, I had to go get licensed to preach. Licensed to, yeah. Uh, and yes. we had to go to Denver. We remember that great road trip. My sister still talks about the great road trip where a whole bunch of 
people. So all, a bunch of early, early villagers, basically. All, yeah, all moved, uh, all went and stayed in her uh, in her little condo. Like we people just sleeping everywhere. <laughs> you know, she still laughs about you know, like Rod just invaded with. So, a bunch so of who were who were Rod? Who were some proto me, proto my wife and. Uh, Ruth Fenstelli, and that was it. That was all of us in the van. That went, yeah. And at this point, Russ was not married. No, he was not married. He wasn't married yet. No, nope. correct. He got married in two thousand, right? So he was so at getting some, at married. some point soon. At some point after that, he was getting married. Yeah, because Russ was the first wedding I'd ever done. Yeah. So but, then, so yeah. what? What happens? So you guys are going back and forth between ministries, well, and we would sit in the office and talk into the wee hours like we just and started and i realized that i wasn't good at planting a church um and that i just my dream had sort of fallen apart um and um and i do remember just this longing to i i wasn't good at suburban ministry and that's kind of what i had been at in phoenix and helped start but it wasn't really who I was, um, and so, um, yeah, so just, uh, and I can remember asking Eric, so how do we build a church for your generation, right? Like, Yeah, we certainly talked a lot about that, especially before we planted. Right. Yeah. Because we didn't necessarily know we were going to plant church. You're, it was right. just you part were, of the conversation. We were trying to save a Presbyterian church. We were trying to save the Presbyterian church. I had already closed down one, and I yeah. didn't want to close down another one, and I did for a brief season become the, what's known as the Dr. Kevorkian of the church growth movement because I did close several, help close several churches. Yeah. And so that was, uh, that was kind of sad and hard yeah. work. Um, and, and yeah, this Presbyterian church, which it sort of irritated me because they had all these really missional people, <laughs> just uh, people that I admired um, and deeply involved in mission and caring for missionaries and doing all of that. And but they weren't good at like personally <laughs> having, having relationships that brought people into that community. And so uh, they did great work. They just didn't grow and. I remember they sent people from the denominational headquarters, and I still remember the words because the guy— They came to evaluate us. Right. They came to evaluate us and evaluate the Presbyterian Church, and the guy said, the tail is wagging the dog. (laughs) He said, this this, little group of people that you have meeting in the back are—they're the— missional folks who are actually doing what the church should be doing and um and this is not healthy um but neither of us could get ordained there because neither of us had a seminary degree so right. that was a requirement yeah so, so then they uh that our little backroom ministry was called uh, rock the desert sojourners or sojourners rock the desert depending on who you ask <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean there's different somewhere maybe not there i have some old stuff with yeah. old uh we used to do bulletins with right. sojourners, on, sojourners right. on it yeah. yeah yeah so okay so then at some point everything's falling apart and you decide let's let's try this together well we closed that church down they agreed to close down in june of 2001 was okay. their last Sunday was somewhere in June. Correct. Then they had a big party, 
And then they they had like a, I think a hundred thousand dollars in their mission budget, so they gave it out to a lot of people, and we got I don't know maybe five thousand a year for the first three years. Um, yeah. So, so that was a nice little, and they paid us our salaries until October. Oh wow! So they were willing to cover us until continue October. to. Mm-hmm. So at what point is the worship manifesto laid out on the yeah. table? <laughs> <laughs> so Rod, so somewhere in June, we're sitting in, I remember it as in the office, yeah, in that I, little I air conditioning so. office. Yep, yep. And I said, <clears throat> you know, this is where things are recalled differently. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and I, it's fine. We'll tell our different stories. <laughs> but I said, Rod, like, what are we going to do? And he said, Let's take a flyer and plant a church. And so I thought that meant, like, we're both, like, just going to throw it all in, and uh, that's what we're doing. And then then it turns out he was working for a Teen Challenge before I knew it. That's how I remember it. I was like, wait, what? And he's going to tell it differently. And it's true. I was working for Teen Challenge, but as a volunteer, he thought I was getting a paycheck from them. Uh, I was not getting a paycheck. I was a volunteer. I I volunteered for like two years before they begged me to take a paycheck and continue to work for them. So, yeah, I, I was confused later on when he said, well, you immediately went and got a job. And I go, no, that was a way to increase. It was just to help grow the church. So you can enough. see from the very beginning. <laughs> we did not communicate. Rod and I struggled to communicate. <laughs> there is a generational gap between the two of us. Right. Which is significant for people to know. I was 29 and he was 49 when right. we started the church. Yeah. Um, so the fact that a 49-year-old and a 29-year-old with, could with, figure it out is pretty With pretty, pretty different church backgrounds, too. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah. He was all Christian reform, and I was a mutt. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. A purebred and a mutt. And so, you know the purebreds are always bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, they at least have certain spiritual health problems. <laughs> they're cute, though. <laughs> yeah, they're beautiful, but worthless. <laughs> so I, I really want to, so at some point you sit down and you're like, this is the, this is the so, thing okay, I'm not so moving I on. remember going to Susan and talking about this church planting thing and talking to Keith and Julie. And I really had this series of mentors who just – they poured into my life and left me and I felt like I lost a lot. Like I didn't, I gave away a lot without holding like, this is what's important to me. And if I'm going to pour my whole life into it, I should have some things that I think are important. Sure. So I remember another meeting at good egg where once we decided we're going to plant a church, I had this like worship manifesto and I was like, look, this, this is the thing. Like, I cannot plant a church unless, like, I have complete control over the worship music and what it's going to look like. And so I give him this manifesto. And I, I, as I remember, and he may remember it differently, he looked at it. He definitely didn't read it. Maybe he read two or three lines. And he threw it back to me. He's like, fine, I don't care. <laughs> That's actually the truth, I, and I really didn't care. <laughs> and so, and the other thing I told him, and, and I've told you know, this I've talked about this in sermons and things. Is I also said, because out of my own pain, like I'm, you're not going to be my mentor. Like right. I can't do that again. Right. I can't have a mentor and then like have you leave three years from now, like because you decided that you have some greater calling that you don't want to tell me about. 
So that was sort of, you know, a more protective kind of thing than I did. In my defense, I, I didn't have a musical bone in my body, and I couldn't, I couldn't sing, I couldn't play an instrument, I couldn't do any of those things. And so that he cared about worship and what it would look like and and the music was fabulous like it was like that was which was interesting because in the whole rock the desert thing that i had tried earlier it was to be led by i had a couple musicians that were just nashville trained fabulous musicians who abandoned me so we both had abandonment issues (laughs) this is probably (laughs) true but um but yeah uh, and i I think even then, even though I wouldn't have said it then, and I'll say it now, um, I don't know that I was ever a church planter. I just recognized them and right. and called them to the task and then walk with them, right? And, I, and then the other thing, and I think Eric and I both agreed that we are extremely loyal, if nothing else, and are and maybe to a sinful fault, like I, you know, but I just think um, I was excited to... Um, to work with him rather than work over him or you know any of that like this this to me was so the whole co-pastoring thing was pretty immediate i, I yeah yeah i felt like it was i think one of the things that, that was kind of cool in the way that god worked was um you know as rod worked in in rock the desert he doesn't like filling out forms um <laughs> yes. but i have a wife who loves forms and so to get money in the Christian Reformed Church in those days, you had to fill out a lot of forms and do a lot of reporting. So your boss at the time, Jerry Holloman, who was the boss in the sense of like the Christian Reformed Church oversight of his ministry, right. said, there's this $18,000 designated to Rod. Like, if you want it, all you got to do is fill out the forms. And so... I and Sue and I in like three hours went to a coffee <laughs> shop and we filled them all out based on our ministry over the last year and turned them in. And so the 5,000 a year that came from the Evangelical Presbyterian Church and the $18,000 that we got in October, that's why we do the belonging service in October is when we open the bank account and the paychecks stop right. coming from the other church. And this was like really, we're launched into this thing. We deposited $18,000 and started our church. Now you might th- not think that's a lot of money, but in those days, like that was a big deal for us. Like, yeah, it was really. It big. was huge. And again, um, I hated. I didn't just hate out hate filling out forms. I always felt like a liar when I was filling mm. them out. Right? Like, how many people did you talk to about Jesus? Well, I'm ADD. I can't remember how many people I talked to about anything, and I couldn't. So, I, and then I would get frustrated and get to the point where I. I think I cannot do this. I just can't. It's it's horrible, and so I'm. I don't. I don't want to do this. I yeah. don't. Um, and then Jerry kept saying to me, "Rod, you have eighteen thousand dollars sitting here. Fill out the stinking form." And I said, "I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to fill those out anymore. I just keep the stinking money." And and in my stubborn obnoxious sinfulness <laughs> um and then it was great because he's right sue sue just loves it and and it was like oh okay well yeah know. so she just interviewed me and filled out the farms yeah it was she's fabulous. good at so. yeah, exactly since, it was since the beginning of the village and 
administrating in beautiful ways as my my wife yes (laughs) exactly what a gift yeah so i mean i think not only that we had to have a place to meet because yeah we were meeting in the back room of this evangelical presbyterian church which was renting from a uh, messianic Messianic Jewish jewish congregation so once the evangelical presbyterians closed down we had to figure out some way to rent from them they got tired of us because apparently we were scratching their floors so <laughs> and they didn't like the kind of people that yeah, were coming. There, that there was, was some element thing. of they didn't like the kind of people. <laughs> Where that was were coming. this? This was up on Third and Rosemont. Rosemont. Okay. The church is now a like uh, what do you call it? A home for for elderly people. Okay. Like a sure. Um, anyway, so we had we ended up our first really where we started in July. Um, was at uh, Bethel, Bethel Church, 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 Church in their background. And I think you have to talk about this because we went in and we took black sheets and we covered their entire fellowship hall. Yeah, with yes, black the black sheets, sheets everywhere. Blacked out the windows, everything. And then we would have these tables with like 30 or 40 candles, candles burning yeah. on them. And, uh, and, and because Rod was working at Teen Challenge, then all, like you'd get like anywhere from seven to 20 teen challengers showing up in the evening service. So you got, sure. you know, ex drug addicts, then villagers. Um, and, uh, and then we did pizza. We didn't cook. So it was just right. pizza. Right. On occasion, your wife would make taco salad, right. but that was pretty rare once yep. we got going because pizza was just easier. Yeah. And we had tons of soda in the fridge and we had a lot of trouble with with the poor congregation at Bethel because we some people left some sodas in the freezer. Good, oh, good, good, yeah. good old Joe left left yep. a soda in the freezer, and instead of calling calling me and saying, "Hey, I forgot one of your idi- one of your idiot people left oh. a soda," you know the hospitality committee this is still the day my love right called me to berate me that they had uh-huh. to clean out the freezer and i said hey i would have gladly come and cleaned it you know just let me know yeah and i'm so sorry but yeah they were not happy with us yeah so but even though they weren't year one black sheets year two they let us repaint their entire fellowship hall and so we did it in this cool faux like thing of the time so now now it's really bright yeah, and we had a big screen, and right. we would do movie nights at their place, and and the cheese and uh, the we, we did an art show. Art show that was the very last Sunday. I yeah, think we yeah. had a huge art show there. Um, yeah, so that was we we had a lot of fun times in those yeah, beginnings. Great. And they had that basketball court and all yeah, that. Yeah, a lot of little kids yeah, have a big the, memory of that. So right. yeah, you asked the question earlier, and like who? Well, who's left? Who helped plant the village? Who's, right. who's who's here now that was there? So then? Emily and Russ, and Rod and Kathy and Sue and I, and Jeff and Emily, and Ron Wyman, um, are I think the people who are left. And Keith and Julie. And Keith and Julie that are still here. So then that would include like you know all of their children, right? right? And our children. Um, so Jesse, are we forgetting someone? Jesse Ashton. Trying to think. So, uh, Tretia and Chris came um, while we were there. While we were there, a year right before the second year. Right. So, right. so they are early on, but they didn't help start. Right. But effectively, they did. Yeah. Oh, were the McCullys? No. Well, Ryan was. Ryan was. But he wasn't married. He wasn't married right. to Andrea. Right. She came pretty soon after that. Right. Um. 
Because they were part of yeah, they were part the of Presbyterian, Presbyterian Church. Church. And there are a few other people who know, like you know, Ruth Vanstelli has passed away. Um, Tom and Mary Kay Woodruff. Tom and Mary Kay. Tom has passed away. Mary Kay is up in Phoenix. 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 Um, Jack and Sylvia. Jack yeah. and Sylvia. Moved to... Um, yeah, yeah. Where have they moved now? I forget. The, they're in Georgia. Georgia. Um, Jack, who for years and years yes, filled, filled the fridge with filled soda. Filled the fridge with soda. I, yeah. do, I just made 100 bucks because I published a story about that in the denominational <laughs> I magazine. Saw that. You should call him. I, I'm going to send him some. Yeah. You should definitely send yeah. him some. So I, I have a couple of questions. Yes, go for it. Um, so we, we've kind of settled on, okay, so here's your meeting at Bethel. Um, the village is, is started. So there are a couple of things that are sort of that I view as re- really unique about the village. One yes. of them is the idea of a values driven church. Yes. So where did that come from and, and how did you settle on the values that we have? And well, we both had sets of values that came from our two ministries. If, but you have kind of some theories about values. It was just yeah. natural for me. I think in, um, on Sunday you'll hear more about this because I'm preaching through the values. Yeah. Uh, so come in here. Um, but, um, yeah, it was a big thing. I went to a church boot camp, church planner boot camp, <laughs> which is pretty there much. There was no exercise involved. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was a lot of exercise and it was painful. <laughs> yes. Um, but one of the things was the guy said, hey, you know, you need to write down your values, what you value as a church. All values are good inherently, right? And so, or they wouldn't be called values. And so I just had a horrible time with him because he kept sending me back and kept saying, you didn't do the, you haven't done the job. And so I was getting more and more frustrated. And finally I just went off on him like major rant style and said what I hated about church and said what I loved about church and and somewhere in there he said oh I think we're touching on your values (laughs) (laughs) so so that's been a it's been a real shaping thing in my life and I think churches often focus on vision and they focus on this thing and all those things are very aspirational but the truth is you do what you value Uh, so when people say I I I don't value this, but I do it. I, eh, you're lying. You, you do what you value. If you deeply value something, you do it. And um, and I just thought, well, that's a great way to plant a church and start a church based on values. Um, and that then you can always say yes to everything as long as it corresponds to the values, right? Like, yeah. So you wanted to. You want to do that? Well, our value of authenticity says yes. You may do that, or so you're not you're not saying no all the time. I think, at least in my church background, there was always you know leaders saying no. You can't do that because it doesn't fit the vision. Well, <clears throat> it doesn't have to fit a vision. Um, it just has to hit hit the values of the village. And I I really felt like that was a uh, it was a turning point in my life, and it shaped the village, I think, as well. Do you do you remember what Rock the Desert's values were? I do. What were Rock the Desert's values? The ones we so, It's not all six, because I remember no, right, some of them was, were. It was three. Did we bring three? Uh, in, it was in, authenticity, yeah. uh, accessibility, right? Because yeah. that was a big, and creativity were the three right. that I. And I think creativity was the one that we both had. Right. I think we had beauty. Right. We slunk it into creativity. Right. 
and then we had community and um, the disciplines and truth. Like, right. Yeah, so yeah, so disciplines, truth, and community were the thing that we brought in. Right. And you brought yeah. And and then to meld those right to make what Eric valued things that I valued as well and vice versa yeah. right and yeah. so and and it played out like you know when we decided we we're going to do communion uh, every Sunday well I'm excited about that because you know I'm a Calvinist and John Calvin said we should do it but, <laughs> well, but and I grew up that way and he grew up that way and but but then I said I want to do it by the in, way I should say because my sermon people were like wait what you quarterly I grew up in, younger in the oh, Brethren yeah. right, Church right, right, where yeah, we did it kid, every right. yeah. There was a period exactly. of time when you were growing up. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, um, but when we did communion, I said, I want to do it in such a way that when my friends come who aren't Christians, right. they don't get ostracized by having to sit in the congregation right. and let the elements pass by or, oh, we're going to take the bread together. I was in a... Or forced to feel like they have to right. take it. I was, I was in, in a worship service at celebration of the church I helped start in Phoenix uh, where they said everybody get in a circle and well I that was the Sunday I brought Gene Finney my non-Christian friend right now and so I was just like oh this is horrible for him he's the most ostracized person on the planet right now Mm -hmm. I hate that so I just stayed sitting with him and then somebody else caught on and came and sat down too and so um, but it was like yes let's do this but let's do this in a way where we don't ostracize, right? Right. right. Um, so mm-hmm. that that's why it's such a huge value for me. Like, you yeah, know. sure. So we spent a lot of time thinking through thinking through those things, how we were going to do Sunday. I mean, that was a big it's like so that being a big deal for him. Like the worship music for us, we really so want. This, this was my other question was, and it comes some out of creativity, but the the question about the worship at the village and the music that we play yeah and I, I think there so two things we thought is it came out of us being so much in uh, non Christians lives of people who'd never been to church so not right. people who've gone to church and left but people who've never been to church what they're used to is the bar and the bar tends to especially if you're young you're a Gen Xer the bar is not like going and listening to cover bands it's original music. It tends to be a little bit darker in those days because emo and sure, you know Nirvana sure. and punk is grunge. all part of grunge is part of the deal. So we really wanted to be a community that led with actually a lament style worship where you have this sound that's more like a dirge and more inviting you to kind of feel the weightiness of things, but allowing the truth of God to to really pour over you. Um, and we try to it's we still do. We tried to use the hymns to kind of you know be the thing that kind of helped us move musically out of sort of the minor keys at times and stuff yeah. like that. Um, but we knew the other thing is we knew that we were gonna, we were, we were kind of like a creative outpost and that's okay. If you wanted a different worship experience, you could go to a different church. We didn't need to like be like everybody else. We would just do this experiment and it was hard for some people and other people just loved it to death. Like they walked in and they're like, Oh, finally I'm, I'm at home. Right. Um, and w- what was interesting is a lot of the teen challengers who had to go to Pentecostal worship all the time loved to come to the village because right. it just was a music you could immerse yourself in without having to be really, you know, demonstrative and you could kind of be yeah. more contemplative. So in the music, 
um, a lot of the early music came out of some of your experiences in sure. Seattle with Mars Hill and yeah. the music they were writing. Yes. And the, the worship experience of being there. Yeah. Um, and then you started even early on writing music we, we as tried. a community. And I have a funny story about this that people probably don't remember. Um, <clears throat> but some guy starts looking. Our first song was Colossians. Uh, I think it, I think it's just called Colossians. Maybe it's Colossians 2 or 1. I don't remember. Okay. It's on a, we've never played it before. It'd be kind of fun to play it once just to, to bring, remind. It, bring it back and try to. It's a very atonal song, and not great. But it had. But the kids are kind of involved in the. We did a recording and everything. So some guy goes looking for a song on Colossians, and you know in those days there's no. I mean you can't find MP3s. He sure. runs across our website where you can download music, and he listens to Colossians, and it's not a great song. And he emails me. And berates me for how terrible this song is. Of course, little kids are singing at the beginning of it. Um, and how, like, you know, Christians should be working so hard to do excellent things. And why are we putting out this terrible song? And so, in my very immature pastor thing, because he emailed it to me. And we had sort of this public forum on our website. I was like, hey, I just posted his email right onto our public forum. <laughs> And then people in the village just started, like, answering him. And then I took all of those and I just sent it back to him. All of their replies. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. That's a, the, just to show a little bit of the immaturity of a 29-year-old <laughs> pastoring a church. And now that happens sometimes. Yeah. So what, was, what's an early village song that we actually still play now? Um. Well. Romans 12. Romans 12. Psalm 46. Yes. Mercy stands. Trinity. Trinity. First Peter two is the first song that Sue wrote, and I together. So we started singing that pretty early. Um, Trinity came a little later. We should make a playlist of some of the early village music. We have a that CD. Yeah, right? that CD right there. You, you want to <laughs> grab that that little cover there that might have the titles on the things in the back there. With, oh yeah. Okay. Um, this has arise my soul arise. Yes, that was a, that one was a original Julie. Modified that hymn. Modified the hymn. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fair because Charles Wesley didn't write music anyway. No. He just wrote the <laughs> lyrics and stole other people's melodies. Yes, this is true. Uh, Post Concussion, which is. Uh, right. Yeah, Mars Hill. Mars Hill song. Brother. That's just a song my brother wrote. Okay. Yeah, Wes. No, Joel. No, Joel. It's not a worship song. It just got thrown on the album. Uh, Consume Me. Consume Me, which we've done different things with over the years. Isaiah 55. Yep. The Cure. Uh, that is a, a free form thing that uh, uh, Karen Lefevre did on right. Uh, Karen Bradley, uh, yeah, Bradley. Karen Bradley. She was time. Karen Bradley. <laughs> yeah. uh, Philippians two. Uh, Karen also. Karen also was came. around. She her, came yeah. with the church plant. Yeah. Philippians two, um, and Romans twelve. Yes, Philippians two. Philippians two actually was probably the first song that was written, <clears throat> and that was written out of uh, it happened at a band practice probably in the first few months. So this this notes all songs unless otherwise noted are performed by the village band: Susan Seepin, guitar uh -huh. vocals; Joel Seepin, guitar vocals; Russ Lewis, drums mm -hmm. vocals; Emily Lewis, mm -hmm. vocals; Keith Brunson, bass and vocals. Yep, there you go. There you go. The original, the OGs before even caring really came in. So Rod, I've I've sung with all of the, um, I've sung hymns with the good Dutch reform people in Phoenix. Um, what was that experience like for you? 
coming into sort of the the grunge of the village a little bit early on yeah i <clears throat> i realized um if you're going to plant a church you're planting it for the people who are there and who come and who are gathered and much as i love and still do <laughs> um the whole uh, you had an old blind man and he would play the organ and mm. it was incredible that guy was so t he also was a piano tuner so he was he was pretty <laughs> gifted um and then his daughter was the wife of a dear friend of mine and he and she would play piano fabulously and so they would play and in the evenings in the phoenix christian reformed church and they had these windows that would open, the big glass windows that kind of open out. And then the, you'd hear the dust storms come rolling in. And they, those windows would start slamming shut as the wind blew through the place. <laughs> and the choir sang in. And my mother, um, who I miss, um, had this beautiful high tenor voice. And she could just sing the descants up over the top of those hymns. That still gives me chills when that happens. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I love that. And I love just – we also just sat around the piano. That We didn't have a TV as a, when I was a kid, so we just sat around the piano and sang old hymns and old cowboy songs. And so those all have a special place in my heart. And <clears throat> and I what I love about the hymns is that they teach really good doctrine, at least most of them, <laughs> that we <laughs> – certainly the ones we sing. The ones that we pick, pick to sing. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and it's a way to learn good doctrine, right? Yeah. I, I think uh, Eric talks about, you know, singing scripture and how all of a sudden you're, it's coming into you whether you know it or not. Mm. And I think doctrinal, good doctrinal hymns are uh, another way of doing that. So, yeah, um, I loved it. But I also realized you lay down the thing you love for the sake of the gospel. That's what Jesus invites us into. And it's hard sometimes. It was hard in the beginning, but but then you start falling in love with the music and you start falling in love with the songs. And more importantly, you fall in love with the people who are writing them and and, and offering them. And, and then all that other stuff fades off yeah. um, because of the delight of what's happening now. Yeah. And I mean, I think you can talk about the music because it's an obvious one, but every single thing that we do is that way and i think the thing that rod and i bring is that rod is it's not that i'm not a visionary because i actually have lots of visionary ideas but rod's an idea person and i'm actually surprise surprise we make jokes about administration i'm a highly detailed person and so i think through everything and why we do everything and i expect everything to be a certain way yeah um and appear like it's not i mean that's the whole point is to have it be free well, which is which is why when you do a sermon on the liturgy of the village we get a lot of comments about, oh, I didn't know that this was that way because it's like a, it's it's planned out. It's a specific purpose behind yes. the thing that we do. Yeah. Raj Binding was a dear pastor friend of mine who just recently uh, went on to to uh, his heavenly rewards, and he um, he was a staunch Christian Reformed guy, right? And he came to the village, and afterwards he was in tears, and he said, Rod. This is such a traditional Christian Reformed Church. You are reciting creeds. You're confessing. You're preaching the gospel in a very Reformed way. The, you're singing scripture. This is like the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. He said, all these people at the Sun City Church where I attend, 
if they could get past the way the music is done and the way it appears and just concentrated on what's actually done, they would think they were in a Christian Reformed church back in the 1950s, you know, like, like, because you're doing all these beautiful things that we've always done as a church, just doing them in new and exciting and interesting ways. Yeah, I mean, we tried to hold on to sort of that ancient future thing, which was a phrase going around when our church first planted um, by Weber, so it's a, yeah. The early village, those are the questions I have. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about? No, I mean, I think we've probably made this podcast a lot longer than it should have been. been. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I think it's, I think the thing that I would add is, you know, like this is 21 years that Rod and I have been planting, have planted this church, and I always still think of it as a church plant. Um, And I think that's a good thing to always think of your church as a church plant. And it, you know, I never thought really, to be honest, we'd get to the place where Rod would be like retiring. I just thought it would fail. And I mean, <laughs> I just thought we would, I would end up having to go do something else. We we had a plan and that was when the village, not if the yeah. village, but when the village failed, we were going to start a restaurant together. In the first 10 years, <laughs> that conversation was happened a lot. A lot. And what kind of restaurant would we start and yes. what would the menu look like? Right. And we're going to be a, you know, what verse, in, in what and out verse, burger, a pizza place. What verse would you have at the bottom yeah, of the menu? Yeah, right. yeah, and I mean, and because we both like food and we like to cook, it, yeah. was, it was, you know, and again, it would have been just the exact same thing. We would have merged our two value systems of food together, and people have been like, oh, I don't know what I like. <laughs> yes. I don't know if I like this or not. Do this. Yes. Casseroles and pizza are just, I don't know how those go together. Uh, <laughs> steak. And, yeah, no, we, we would have had a great restaurant. But so I think that's, it's kind of weird, to be honest, to be like, wow, our church is like, it's aging. Yeah. And it's aging well. Like when you look at our church, there's tons of 20-somethings and 30-somethings and 40-somethings and college students. We have a great, beautiful, like, picture, uh, what do you call it, a myriad of Tons generations of little, tons of little kids yeah and I, it's exciting to watch the young people who were kids take hold of the village and owner own it and be part of it. it and i'm just excited for you know i'm excited to see because i think rod is he's always going to be going before so i get to watch him work out retirement in in this, you know, what does that mean? What not to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, anytime you watch someone, you watch what not to do and what to do. That's what I hope that people look at me and I right. hope Mark and Michael yes. look and say, well, yeah, those are good things Eric did and those things we'll never do. A, as, soon we, others, as soon as we get rid of him, we are not doing that anymore. That will never happen again. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, mean, I think it's cool. I think it's even in the pastors to see the generations like you're still in your 30s michael's coming on he's in his 40s i'm in my 50s rod's retiring in his 70s like you have this beautiful generational thing with our pastors and elders um and that's a powerful i think a powerful thing that's the delight for me i i remember praying five years ago one of my 20 prayers uh, for a couple of years was, God, would you bring in older folks, right? Because we yeah. had a lot of young people. We just didn't have any older folks. But we needed grandpas and grandmas and dads and moms. To, and we're starting to get that. And now we have that. Like, and, yeah. you know, your parents and others that, that have just stepped in and, and become 
deeply part of. And so to have that full, well-rounded church of yeah. all generations is a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I believe the way it should be. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, if you've made it with us this far, um, please uh, join us on Sunday and the coming Sundays as, as Rod gives his sermons, especially this week when he's going to talk about the values of the village. And um, thanks for listening. You can email questions to healingthecity at gmail.com. Thanks, Rod. And thank you, Eric, for yeah. talking about the village. Thanks. You've been listening to the Healing the City podcast with Pastor Mark, Pastor Rod, and Pastor Eric. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, we could really use a rating on Apple Podcast and on Spotify Podcast. That would help us a lot. Thank you.